across the world, real estate agents are underachieving. They're missing out on millions of dollars in commissions. My name is Pat Hyben, and in the past 27 years, I've sold over 6,000 homes, selling over a billion dollars in real estate volume. My plan is to interview agents from across the world and help all agents create their destiny. This episode is brought to you by Audible. Yes, Audible, the way to learn and listen to books without having to turn a page. Uh, Audible's awesome. I've always been a big fan. I always have several books on Audible that I'm listening to or getting ready to listen to after the next one is done. Right off the bat, I've got a great book for you to listen to. It's called The Surrender Experiment. It's by Mickey Singer, and it's changed my life. It really has. At at first, I was unsure about it. I thought it might be too spiritual for me, but it really wasn't spiritual at all. It was, but it wasn't. uh, This guy's built a company with thousands and thousands of employees, and he's used a different way to make decisions throughout his life, and it's benefited him. And I've actually tried it recently, and it's it's affected me and it's it's working well so highly recommend surrender experience mickey singer michael singer check it out just go you can listen to this book for free actually as a listener of this show by getting a free 30-day membership to audible all you got to do is go to audio.hybendigital.com that's audio.hybendigital.com This episode is brought to you by Bluehost. Check this out. If you have a website you want to host or are already hosting and are probably paying too much, they have disrupted the world when it comes to hosting things inexpensively and efficiently. As little as $3.95 a month and you get a free domain name. They host over 2 million websites worldwide. Check it out, uh, listeners to this show. Very inexpensive and efficient. They can get a free domain. So I got a coupon for a free domain for you. Just go to host.hybendigital.com. That's host.hybendigital.com. Over 2 million websites hosted worldwide by Bluehost. Happy Friday, Rockstar Nation. Hope uh, your week was good. Man, we have had some killer episodes Recently, hope everybody enjoyed our Robert Kiyosaki, episode 405. I've had over 5,000 downloads and tons of comments on that, so I'm glad you guys like that. Listen, we got some good ones this week. Of course, today, good old Eddie Lane from Seattle, Washington is on. Monday, got Raj Bosker. He's the founder of Hurdler, and he created some groundbreaking technology for real estate agents. He used to own a company called Visual Homes that he sold out, and we're going to dig deep into that. Chuck Fazio is on Wednesday, man, and he runs Revelation Real Estate, and boy, it was a big revelation what they're doing. I mean, they're taking full advantage of a seller's market, and get this, they're not, I repeat, not putting homes in MLS. Yeah, it's a full-service brokerage, but not putting homes in MLS so that their agents get the leads and get the ad calls and sign calls and of course not putting in Zillow Trillia realtor.com so when buyers pull up and they try to find it on their app guess what they can't so guess what they have to do yes they have to actually call and speak to a real person 
Uh, and by the time they do that, their uh, level of seriousness has gone way up as far as a buyer. And, if, and then when they schedule the appointment through his company only, pretty much, their level of seriousness has gone up a lot. So really, really good, solid buyer leads these guys are getting by not using the MLS. Fascinating stuff. Very, You definitely want to hear that one. Friday, I got Karen Briscoe talking about uh, real estate success, not failure, success, like major success as she done in her life in uh, five minutes a day. Five minutes a day. She's got uh, tons of brilliant ideas, and, and we dig deep. Karen's been on the show before, and that's always a fun one. And then uh, October 31st, Halloween day, I got a surprise, a boo hoo you surprise for you. Josh Dorkin and Brandon Turner, these guys run Bigger Pockets Podcast. I was recently on it, and uh, they came on my show, and listen— if there's anybody in today, like today, I'm not talking about someone who wrote a book 20 years ago or, or, or whatever. I'm talking about someone today who's writing the books and, and in the trenches and interviewing people who are doing this, who are investing in real estate one house at a time. These guys are doing it and they share like the top 10, I think, things that they learned on their podcast over the last three or four years. And it is a hugely successful podcast. So you get the espresso version of uh, years and years of interviews. And it is a very powerful interview. So that's going to be great. Don't miss those. Uh, love them. I got some messages here. Been getting a lot of messages. I'm going to just read some of these. Hey, Pat, this is from John Logan of Lorev Real Estate. John says, hope this message finds you well. So I've been listening to podcasts and doing my research on how to excel in the beginning of my career, but I keep getting hire a coach thrown at me. I just wanted your opinion personally. You know, John, uh, yeah, you know, uh, coaches work. Coaches work. And and the reason they they work for a lot of people is accountability. Like, like if you're going to pay money, right, for someone to coach you and they tell you that you need to get out there and call a certain amount of people a day or hand out 20 cards a day and you don't do it, you're going to be like, I'm wasting my money. And that is going to work. I My career has always been elevated by coaches. And there's a million real estate coaches, and most of them have been on this show. So go back and look, listen to you know all the, the, the coaches that I've had, whether Amy Stower, Michael Mayer, you know, Tom Ferry. They've all been on the show. Uh, you can check them all out. You can listen to them and see which ones you like the best. Uh, Jay Kinder, Michael Reese, all, all the top coaches have been on my show pretty much. So feel free to, you know, dig into all those uh, and form your own opinion on which ones that you like. You know, the rare person is self-accountable. And, and if you if you don't want to pay the money, then listen to these podcasts, figure out what you need to do from Jumpstart to be successful, and then have someone else for free make you accountable whether it's your broker or your or a peer partner of yours and make them kick your ass if you don't actually do what you say you're going to do that's a cheap way to do it hope that helps john uh, i got another one from andrea walter keller okay so dear pat uh, i'm quite interested in a certified listing agent program you offer as i do believe listings are the name of the game one of the biggest challenges i see is not necessarily the six steps of a listing appointment, it's really how to find the listings and apply these six steps. Unfortunately, I cannot find any part in your program to help me with the very first step, which is get on an appointment. Oh, okay. Good, valid question, Andrea. Yes. Uh, 
Our CLA program is only for once you get in the door. There's a million ways to get in the door of a listing. And I know a lot of people are in seller's market. So it's getting harder and harder to actually get in the door. But the, the answers to your questions are, are the basics. You know, the basics are what's going to get you in that door. Number one, the to you know you pick up the phone what i did when i switched consciously from buyer agent essentially to listing agent when i went from you know like 80 percent buyers to 80 percent listings in a period of a year to two years is i just sat in the corner and called everybody um that you know the do not call list and things like that and you, you've heard this on a lot of the shows people that come on that do a lot of calling they're really nothing to be afraid of nowadays from what i understand and and if you want to pick up the phone and just start banging away calling people and with mojo dialer and with 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 different dialers that you, you can connect with people so fast and you could just call down the street I think they call it circle calling. Rachel Adams calls it circle calling. She calls every house around a listing. You know, if you thought about selling your house now or in the near future, you know, just calling, calling, calling. And then, and, and then aside from that too, you got door knocking. I mean, here's the thing. No one wants to hear that answer. No one wants to cold call, you know, or knock on doors. But the reality of it is, is you have to, if you want to build a listing business and you're not getting listing referrals, you have to start with the basics and of course, you got Fizbo's and Expired. Uh, you know, we just had a great episode on it. Wednesday's episode. If you didn't hear that, go back and listen to it. Man, it's a killer episode. The, just the last one before this. It'll play automatically when this ends. If if you subscribed on iTunes to us or subscribed on Stitcher, just keep playing. But listen to that. That's killer Fizbo and, and uh expired scripts those are always good ways but again bottom line is basics okay daniel peterson uh, from panama city pat thanks for all the valuable content i just wanted to write you if you were me 27 years old and just started out in the business what would be the most important thing i should figure out in order to grow my sales i had breakfast with a guy yesterday and it, you know he asked me the same exact question and my answer was be a junk yard dog you need to just go full out Daniel and just be a junkyard dog just be living eating breathing real estate talking real estate with everybody that you see calling everybody that you know calling everybody that you don't know handing out business card after business card after business card after business card you need to just go crazy with the cheese whiz as a realtor as a real estate agent and just let everybody know on Facebook you shouldn't be posting anything but man you know I love real estate you know, I'm in here cold calling today. I'm in here prospecting. Just mate, met someone. I handed them my real estate agent card. Whatever it is, just try to post things and do things and live, eat, and breathe real estate and be a junkyard dog. Take rentals. Take mobile homes. Take everything real estate that you can get and just work it. Just work it. Just go to work. Never turn down an invitation. Anybody invite you to anything, just go there and make it your point to hand out a card to every single damn person you meet there and meet people there. Be assertive. That's my advice to you. So hope that helps. Anyways, guys, this is, uh, we got some great stuff ahead. I am so excited. Thanks for tuning in and make it a great weekend. Okay, Rockstar Nation, we have a super returning guest today, Mr. Ed Lane, coming from Bellevue, 
Washington is on the line, and we are talking extreme seller market strategies. Seattle and surrounding areas are going crazy with the cheese whiz when it comes to seller markets and and, uh, low inventory and high demand. So uh, hold on to your seats because this is going to be a good one. And Ed Lane, welcome back to Pat Hyben Interviews Real Estate Rockstars. Well, glad to be back, Pat. I appreciate you inviting me back. So, Ed, why don't you give our rock star audience a little bio on yourself so they can get to know you better? Sure. Yeah, happy to. So, uh, yeah, live and work here in the Seattle market, the city of Bellevue specifically. Uh, Been in the industry since the 80s, started in the mortgage industry and then added real estate about uh, 12 or 13 years ago. And I've built up a, a brokerage here in Bellevue of about 100 agents and just having a good time selling a lot of houses. That's awesome, buddy. What's your brokerage called? Miller Lane Properties. Miller Lane Properties. I love it. And I assume, is there still a Miller involved? There is still a Miller involved, okay. despite my best efforts. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. Scott and I have known each other for 25 years now. A lot of times, that's that, you know, that, that, one of the names of the two ends up getting spun out. If you look at Long and Foster, the long long dude, he only lasted like a year or whatever. And Wes Foster has been carrying it for hundreds, of, what I don't want to say hundreds, <laughs> decades. Uh, you know, Keller Williams. Williams was out like after year two. You got uh, Caldwell Banker. I mean, it's crazy. It's very interesting. So I'm glad to hear that uh, Miller, Miller Lane. Yeah, Miller Lane. Miller. I'm glad to have Miller still involved. So anyway, so. Tell me a little bit about your brokerage. You got a hundred agents, uh, and what's your main role? So I uh, I still sell houses personally, but I basically oversee the training and operations side of it, and then Scott handles most of the marketing and and training on that side of it. Okay, and so like how many houses did Miller Lane the the brokerage sell last year? We sold a little less than four hundred sides. Okay, so you guys are, are you know, selling uh, 35 homes a, a month there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And so you're the guy that's teaching everybody uh, what to do to sell more, right? That's your main role in the yep. biz. And uh, so I'm curious, right, you know, what you're teaching them out. Now, first of all, this is how I look at markets, okay? Um, in a market of equilibrium – on a scale of one to 10 is say a five. Okay. Okay. A buyer's market is anything under five. If you're at a zero, you're like an extreme buyer's market, right? Like the buyer rules and everybody's selling at the same time. And the houses are sitting on the market a long time. Buyer makes all the choices. If you're at a 10, you're extreme seller's market, right? No, no inventory at all. Tons of people out there wanting to buy and multiple offers, you know, escalation clauses, stuff like that. Yep, yep. Bellevue, Seattle, where are you? Scale of 1 to 10. We're about a 13. Wow. (laughs) And uh, what? uh, Yeah, tell me about it. Tell me about it. The rule of thumb is six months of inventory makes a balanced market, right? Yeah, that would be a five, let's say. Six months of inventory. That would be your equilibrium. I agree with that, yep. The national average uh, right now is about four and a half months of inventory which would make it basically like a six and a half or seven in your scale. Yes. So it is a seller's market nationally. In the Puget Sound region, which is our metro, you know, our MSA, it's about two and a half months of inventory. And 
King County, where Bellevue is, is eight tenths of a month of inventory. Wait a minute. <laughs> okay, I, I've never less than a month inventory. Yeah, we have three weeks of inventory, Pat. I don't think I've ever met somebody or or known. Now this might have been like even in in you know when everybody was peaking and stuff was selling fast, stuff was selling. There, there were always houses that that balanced it out. You know, there were always houses. The good, it, it usually what it is is the good stuff sells and gets the multiple offers, and you've always got some crap that uh, kind of weighs down the the months of inventory. So you're saying three weeks inventory. What is that like? It's exactly what when you laid out your ten point plan. You know, out of ten, it's multiple offers, it's escalator clauses, it's people stealing keys out of key boxes in the hopes of you know deterring further showings. It's it's kind of it's chaos, and that's why, as a firm, we focus on and emphasize you know lead gen in general, but listing lead gen specifically because that's where the gold is. I I agree that no matter what the market is. Right. Listing lead gen is uh, LLG. That uh, that should always be the mantra. So that being said, what are you doing? What are you teaching regarding listing lead gen that uh, is different now than it may have been five years ago? You know, I mean, is it as easy as, hey, if you used to prospect for listings two hours a day, now you got to prospect six hours a day or what's it like? What what are you, what are you telling them to do? Yeah, so great question because that's the kind of the magic pill. Um, what we're teaching them is a comprehensive approach. So it's a, um, a little bit old school in that we still use direct mail as part of it, but it's online, offline marketing, pounding the phones, door knocking, uh, you know, doing direct mail in a radius around a listing to garner those three additional listings that come on statistically within 90 days of any home selling. You know, it's, it's all of that, and, and what we've done is kind of dubbed it as a, a social farm. So it's an approach that each of our agents uses to target a geographic farm while at the same time integrating and getting after their sphere and past clients, and that's where the social farm kind of comes in. Wow. So, okay, so, so what Ed is saying is, you know, if you haven't heard the phenomena you know, there's a phenomenon out there. If you if a, a for sale sign goes up in a neighborhood, you know, chances are within 30 to 90 days, you know, unequivocally, another for sale sign is going to go up nearby, if not on the same street. Many times it's on the same exact street. Yeah. Um, and it just is. It just happens, right? It's something that the universe creates. But it just, right. so, what, <laughs> so, what, so what his agents do is if there's a house for sale, regardless of whether – they have it listed, whether Miller Lane has the listing or anyone has the listing. They go out like an army and march and door knock uh, trying to find who that person is, who, who uh, try to uncover the curtain, uh, who that next listing is so that they can get the listing. That's right. You nailed it, man. What um, uh, do you have FISBOs? Uh, you know, what's that like? Were you dealing with FISBOs? I would imagine you'd have yeah. some FISBOs because people would just be like, hey, you know, what do I need an agent for? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's interesting. It, you would have thought that it would have exploded more so with the advent of technology and the availability of, you know, everybody's smartphone has the MLS on it and all that. Um, but really, and I attribute it to the, the increase in discount brokerages, um, 
sellers are thinking, yeah, you know, I could go FISBO or I could just try and find a guy that will do it for 1% and, and make it happen that way. So to answer your question, yeah, we, we definitely help for sell by owners. We have a system built around it. I don't, I don't know if you remember our last conversation, Pat, but we are so focused on building systems. Anything that we do for a second time, we want to have a system around it. Well, FISBOs are a great example of that. So so we have approach for them. We, we get them to like us and build rapport by actually being selfless and helping them. And we know statistically they're not going to be successful. So the, the idea is get them to fall in love with you because you were so supportive so that when they go and hire somebody, you're at the front of the line for that interview. So you have a, probably a high FISBO rate. You have extremely low if zero expired rate, obviously, if that, you know, if your month of inventory is three weeks. Like how, how else are you not only getting listing appointments, but once you get on, go on the listing appointments, are they massively competitive? Uh, you know, are they interviewing three agents looking for the lowest commission, looking for the highest price? Look, I mean, not to say that it's not always like that, but it isn't always like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it it's competitive. And, and it, you know, the consumer isn't really that different, even though the environment is. And so, as, as you remember from years gone by, that there was always the guy that wanted to interview 10 and there was, you know, a much greater percentage of people that might tell you they intend to interview 10, but once they fell in love with you, they didn't talk to anybody else. And there's still an element of that. What we do see a decent amount of time now, though, is with, with all of these online lead gen companies that, that aren't real estate firms, they're just generating leads, um, typically that lead will get handed out to three brokers. So I might go on a listing presentation because I have that lead and I know that that consumer got it, uh, got two other names along with mine, but you would laugh. It's comical how often neither of the other two even reached out to that prospect or if they did. Like what would be an example of one of those services? Uh, like a Zillow, Zillow type lead, um, you know, and then you get, you get in the living room. And, and they go, oh, well, yeah, actually, I got two other names. And I say, well, th- what did they say? Have you met with them? Oh, no, I haven't heard from any of them yet. Wow. And that all doesn't surprise you because, you know, NAR did a study the same time MIT did, and they found that brokers responded, quote, in 72 hours, if at all. Yeah, and these are brokers that are actually paying to right. be on the Zillow or Trulia, not not just randoms, not, you know right. what I mean? So you're paying money to, to, to show up there. So... Okay, that's fascinating. Okay, so let's talk about your strategy uh, with listings, right? You know, um, do you put them through, you know, these expectations that, uh, you know, I've interviewed a lot of agents and they have strategies such as, you know, putting the house in MLS early, putting a sign up early, building all this pent up demand, creating an auction type atmosphere, having a big open house on Sunday. What, give me an idea of what you're doing specifically to get your sellers the highest price. Yeah, no, happy to. Um, unfortunately, pre-marketing in our market is a is an MLS rule violation that carries about a ten thousand dollar fine. So, what, what if what if they sign an exclusive right to sell? What if they sign an, um, not an exclusive right to sell, but a, you know, whatever it is? What if they sign something that says you're allowed to do it? I don't want it in MLS. As much as it's uh, it's basically an a antitrust issue, but. It, I will get fined. Doesn't matter what my agreement is with the consumer. It's funny because you know I've talked to some people recently, 
Talked to a guy yesterday in Arizona. It's gonna his uh, interview is gonna come out soon. And his company he has a company like yours, actually, uh, independent company, and they're making a boatload of money by controlling the information. The opposite of what of of what you're not allowed to do. Does that make sense? So right. So oh, his yeah. his independent company uh, will keep a listing in house. For as long as possible, and it's in a seller's market, so that they do get both sides of the commission, and they and get, generate and, a ton of buyers, right? Yeah, and generate buyers the old-fashioned way, which is they have to call to get it because it's not online. Yep. The information is not online. It's not on Zillow. It's not on Truly. It's not in the MLS. You can't find it anywhere, but you could drive by a sign and see that this house is for sale. And if you call the again the old-fashioned way, they'll say, "Yep." We can show it to you, and then they pre-qualify you. And by the time you get to that house, you're an eight as a scale of one to ten as a qualified buyer, compared to these type of leads that you're getting now from you know Zillow and Truly of people just signing up to you know look at more houses online. You know the quality of the lead that these agents are getting, these buyers are soup. They're non-contingent. They're you know pre-qualified. They're super duper quality lead buyers and um and the seller benefits and they tell the seller we're going to discount the commission if we can sell it as a company versus a co-op agent and of course it includes any agent in that company any team any company so if there's 200 agents in the company then they all have access to uh, any listing that the company lists for the first 30 days and it's at an extreme seller's market so they're actually figured out a way to control that information and you're saying that the state of Washington won't let you do that? Not the state, the MLS. It's totally well, let's, legal. Let's talk about this because the MLS, what is the MLS? The MLS is a service, right? It, it can, can the MLS tell you what to do? If I want the benefits of membership, they can. So they could then say to you, you're not following the rules, so we're kicking you out? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know they had that sort of control, but I guess they do. Well, it's it's a lawsuit waiting to happen. But you just go to Zillow anytime you want. Zillow is headquartered here, right? Or at least was. I think they just moved. They have a coming soon section, and their list of Washington properties in the coming soon section is empty. Yeah, that's fascinating. Uh, it's a shame, really. Oh, it's... Uh, because, you know, if you want to control it and your seller wants to save money on the commission... It's my belief that you should be able to control it. I, I agree 100%. I, I think it's a breach of, of my fiduciary duty to my seller. If that's what he wants and it's not illegal, I should do it. What if, I'm you're, obligated. What if you're a commercial broker? They're not in the same MLS. So they don't, I don't, I, they're I'm not, a member they're, they're of in the yeah. MLS. I don't think they have a pre marketing rule. They, yeah, they don't. They don't. Because yeah. most of the stuff uh, commercial brokers do is sell in-house, anyways. Right, it's all it's all in-house. In-house just about in-house you know. I mean, they work with each other, but but they'll flat out say, hey, you know, your commission is X. If if we sell it, and if I have to pay another broker, it goes up. You know, so right. um, and most of the time, they they're they're on both sides. That that's how commercial brokers roll. You know, they've right. never made their stuff public, and they they have LoopNet and stuff, but that. You know, a lot of them still don't even subscribe to that. You know, that's only they only put the houses in there after they've been on the market a while and they can't sell them in house. That's right. That is right. Interesting. So we have to take that environment and work it to our benefit. 
So being a, a pretty successful REO broker helps us go out to the marketplace and offer priority access to homes. But at the end of the day, uh, they can't write any offers or do anything with that info until it's live in the in the MLS. Wow, very interesting. Yeah. So, all right, so you can't do any of that. So, so what do you do? So you put a house on the market. What's it look like? What's your strategy? So when we when we put a house on the market, we will uh, it. We don't do it with a hundred percent of them, but if it looks like it's going to be a very sought after home, which most of them will be because of the lack of inventory. Uh, we will put it on the market one week, reserve reviewing offers until the following week. Um, our MLS also has a, an authorization form that sellers sign to allow pre-inspection, so we'll put that into the listing and encourage people to pre-inspect. When they start calling to schedule those pre-inspections, we'll give them appointments deliberately so they bump into each other and kind of fuel a, a belief that there's a frenzy going on. Um, and ultimately, we end up getting multiple offers and oftentimes escalator clauses. And then we'll use, um, you know, the old foreclosure, you know, the bank trick, which is you go back out for highest and best. Yeah, so, so, so I want to talk about that because, you know, there's some people, again, and th this is no rule. I think some, I, I had some agent tell me it's immoral, you know, uh, to do that in their market recently in an interview and i was like that doesn't make any sense but you said the banks do it and i agree with that i i, I think it's silly i think the whole escalation clause and whatever you know it, I, i'm a very bottom line person you know, put your money where your mouth is what are you willing to pay and i think right. the seller benefits by not knowing you know what the other offers are because inevitably someone's not going to win by a dollar someone's going to win probably by five thousand dollars maybe yeah. twenty you know, yeah. over the last, and and they'll never know, and it, at that benefits the seller, and you work for the seller. Yeah, I, I, immoral. It doesn't fit in this conversation in my mind because I have a a legal obligation to do whatever I can legally and ethically to get my seller as much money as I can. Period. So, will you put in MLS highest and best only, or will you let the offers come in and then? after you collect them say okay we're not going to counter we're just going to say come back with your highest and best we're going to pick one on tuesday yeah the the latter deliberately you separate the two sequences so you want everyone so let's say you're my you're my client pat and i'm i'm putting your house on the market today and thursdays are the best days to put them on because agents are lining up their showing appointments for the coming weekend and so on so we put your home on we put in the remarks uh, sellers traveling or unavailable to review offers until Thursday, what, September 1st. Um, please submit by 3 p.m. and any any offers, if there are any offers, will be reviewed by 5 p.m. on the 1st. So that tees it up so that if we get one offer or we get 10 offers, whatever it is, they're all going to show up around the same time. I don't do anything about highest and best until I know I've got at least a second offer because I won't I won't go highest and best back to one buyer because I don't want to risk losing the only buyer I got. Right. So the minute we get a second buyer, I'm already putting you on notice. Hey, Pat, good news. We have a second offer now and there's still another 24 hours before our deadline. So just be prepared. You have a few options. You can accept one of the offers. You can counter one or both of the offers you can reject them all 
or my personal favorite is we can go back for highest and best from anybody who has submitted at that point. 100% of the time, my clients are going to say, whatever you say, Ed, I want to do what you think is best. So then we'll, we'll, you know, September 1st at 5 p.m. rolls around. I then go back to all buyers and I, and I deliberately say all buyers, not just both buyers, because I want the buyer's agents to feel like there's, there's multiples, not just two. Right. And if they ask you, Ed, is there two or is there five? What do you say? I'll be honest. If they ask me direct questions, I'll, I'll give them direct answers. Um, uh, but most of the time they won't, right? And you'll just say, yeah, we have yeah. multiple, quote-unquote, Most unquote, of the time they just, they just go crap. But, um, but I always deliver that news over the phone rather than email because I want to hear over the phone whether they're reacting viscerally. Because, you know, sometimes agents go, this is BS, this is immoral, right? <laughs> yeah, it's not, uh, not fair. You know, we yeah. were there first. And if they do, I'll hear that in their tone, right? And I'll go, hey, hey, take a breath, Pat. Listen, the rest of the buyers might react the same way you are, so why don't you just stay in the game? Don't revise anything, just stay in the game. And 100% of the time, I, I keep people from getting pissed and going away, and I would say getting pissed happens less than 5% of the time. Yeah, I mean, especially if you say that. Tricky. And then it's kind of trickery, tricky because it is possible they still might get it uh, because the other buyers could act there. But it also helps you and then you're not lying. You know, you're not, right. you know, one pulls out and then you're like, oh, well, I now I don't have it anymore. Yeah, and if, if the other offer has an escalation clause and this first offer bailed out because they got mad, then my escalation clause won't get triggered dead, because yeah. you got to have a second offer. So, so I'm I'm trying to keep as many people in the game as I can. And then what I'll do is I will I'll tell them, okay, Pat. So highest and best is due by tomorrow at 5 p.m. I will go into the MLS and update the remarks so it shows that we have a multiple offer situation with highest and best due by tomorrow at 5 p.m. That way, if there's anybody that hadn't submitted but wanted to, they they will. And then I actually will send an email to each of the buyer's agents that outlines how appreciative I am, but also gives them advice on things that they could do to make their offer stronger that don't have anything to do with price. And that's how I'll kind of steer them to making sure they use my title and escrow and making sure that, you know, our, our MLS forms have a couple goofy clauses that give buyers a free out. And so I'll, I'll advise them, you know, if you want to make your offer stronger, strike paragraph X or whatever. And, uh, and you'll tell that to the agent. It. You'll just say that. Like, you'll, yeah. you'll say, I get, here, can I give you a hint? Yep. You know, wave your appraisal, you know. And I, and I deliberately say, you know, th th please don't take this as a anything other than, you know, hopefully some constructive advice. We're not being condescending. We just know that price is important to buyers, and sometimes the decision – comes down to something other than price. So here's some ideas for you to think about. This is great stuff. So l let me ask you some specifics. So on the subject we were talking about, X out paragraph, you know, eight or whatever. And yeah. let's just say that paragraph is, you know, the loan contingency, which also happens to be the appraisal. Is that becoming the norm? Or, and is that how you're handling an appraisal issue in your area? I don't... I don't know if I'd say it's becoming the norm, but the, the issue itself is becoming prevalent. Low appraisals are definitely 
a big deal. Good agents and aggressive buyers will either strike the low appraisal language. And just to clarify, in our forms, all the low appraisal language says is if it comes in low, the buyer gives a notice of low appraisal to the seller. The seller then has three choices. Agree to the reduction, reject the reduction, or get their own appraisal. Well, usually what really happens is the fourth thing, which is they negotiate something in the middle, right? And they can so, get their own appraisal and the bank might not take it. Right. That's And so that never happens. You know, the reconsideration yeah. That's of That's a value joke. It shouldn't even be in there. It does say, though, you know, if you go that route, make sure you talk to the lender and get someone on their approved list. But to your point, yeah. I mean, I used to be an underwriter. I'm never going to forget that an, a licensed appraiser said this thing was worth 400 and you're trying to convince me it's worth 440 now. Right. So, um, so anyway, w- <laughs> back to your question, there's a few different ways you can address that as a buyer's agent to make it less you know, worrisome for the seller. You can you can strike it all together, which tells the, the seller you're going to just cover it if it comes in low. Yep. You you can add language that says, "Hey, I'm not going to waive low appraisal, but it, as long as it's within 15 grand, I'll cover it." And that way, the the seller knows at least the first 15 grand is dealt with. Yep, I like that. Um, there's also a clause where you can say whether waiving financing waives the low appraisal or not, and so you can say that it will. Nice. That one's an easy one because yeah. I, lo- I love that one because you're saying, yeah, you betcha, if I waive a, uh, financing, I will also waive low appraisal, but I haven't waived financing and I don't intend to. Mm, okay. So, so you have you know degrees of aggressiveness there. And, and when you're the listing broker looking at five offers, depending on how they address low appraisal, if we escalated up, I mean, shoot, Pat, we've had... $800,000 listings just in the last two weeks that sold for a million fifty thousand. So that's a 25% over asking price. Yeah, that ain't, that ain't going to praise, baby. That, right. <laughs> no, <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> so, unless the listing agent is a complete idiot and underpriced it by a quarter million dollars. Right, quarter million know? dollars. <laughs> well, you, did you hear uh, or see my blog about... Um, the Zillow CEO's listing? Yeah, I did, actually. I, I, I just remembered that that was you that did that. But, yeah, yeah, yeah that was fine. <laughs> they were only off by seven hundred grand yeah. on a million-dollar house. <laughs> yeah, uh, tell everybody about that. They didn't see that. So uh, so Spencer Raskoff, as you know, CEO of, of Zillow, listed his home here in Seattle uh, last summer. And at the time, its, it's estimate was $1.5 million. And he listed it at 1.3 million, and so I kind of put something on social media saying, "Well, isn't that funny? Even he knows that this estimate is meaningless information." Well, what proceeded to unfold was it was comical. He he reduced his price three more times, and he always did it the exact minimum necessary to get a new MLS number, so that it looked like a brand new listing. And in our MLS, it's five percent. So he kept dropping at 5%. At, at the end, after 140-something days on the market, he finally went pending. And when it closed, we found out that, uh, I think at that time, the list price was like 1.1, and it actually sold for 1.05 million. 
But at the same time, over those same six months, while his house list price was plummeting, his Zestimate rose by a hundred grand, or no, over a hundred grand, because it finished at one point seven million. So it was just comical. So, so he was seven hundred thousand dollars off, seventy percent off on his Zestimate, right? Yeah, something like that. Let's say, and yeah. I mean, you would figure that the CEO of Zillow would have the power to go in there and change his own damn Zestimate. So he wouldn't look like a buffoon, but I think that, you know, it would be even worse if he was caught doing that. You know, some whistleblower would have told on him. Um, <laughs> so, funny, so I wonder if it just, it, he, he must just still like have no faith in that. Um, I mean, did he ever come out with a, a statement regarding this? I, I never saw anything the, the LA times ran an article about um, it's, inaccuracy in general because Zillow was taking steps to make it more accurate and I, I kind of reposted that article and said too bad the, the journalist didn't know what actually happened to his specific residence because they, they didn't but no nothing nothing came out from him or from Zillow to, to make us feel better about the inaccuracy it's, it's interesting you know I, I know some agents that as part of their market analysis will do a sold price to Zestimate graph. And Saul Z, who's in Chicago, does this. Oh, and, I know Saul. And, and in Chicago, it's within 1%. So the sale price in Chicagoland area is within 1% 1, 1 of the Zestimate of the last 12 months or so. He showed me huh? one recently. But other areas, it's way off, you know? That surprises me. Yeah. I, I, mean, I In their own website, it says we're off by at least 10%, 60% of the time. That's interesting. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, so let, let's let's shift gears and talk about buyers. So you have a buyer that wants to buy a house, and the agent tells you, I got multiple offers. What do you tell the buyer to do? So we, we actually have a training program we call Writing Winning Offers, and it's, it's all about uh, – what you can do in your offer besides price to make it as attractive as possible. And, and we invest a ton of time and effort and energy in teaching our brokers how to write really tight offers and also the, the process around or the system around presenting offers. So every one of my brokers knows that they're going to have a, an offer strategy session with their client. They're going to make two phone calls to the listing broker with the intent of building rapport, finding out how many offers there are, finding out as much intel about those offers as they can, and then, in, and then uh, making sure that they set terms and expirations on their own offer that don't create a hardship for the seller or the listing broker. Because you want to you leave those conversations with the listing broker going, man, that guy's super knowledgeable, professional. I want to work with him. As long as his offer is decent, I'm gonna I'm gonna advocate for him. Okay, so let's let's try to give our audience some some meat and potatoes here, so they can learn from you if it's okay. Um, sure. So let, let's take this one step at a time. So we know the situation. We know it's multiple offers. We have a, a highly emotional buyer that is like Ed. If you don't get me this listing, it's gonna be the end of the world. I'm gonna cry in your office for hours. So first step is okay you know i'm going to you know there's many steps but you said the first step is to build rapport with the other age so how do you do that 
So I'm going to call you, Pat, in this example. You're the listing broker. And the first thing I'm going to do is compliment you uh, and get you to laugh. So okay, so, so how are you? I'm going to give, say, give hey, me an example, yeah. I'm going to say, hey, you know, this, this house on 123rd, I can see that you did an awesome job on getting this thing ready for sale. I got to ask you, though, did the seller insist on leaving that lime green wallpaper in the bathroom, or was that your idea? Okay. And they'll go, ah, yeah, funny. I begged them to take it down. I, 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 man, we've all had sellers like that. I feel your pain. Hey, listen, I wanted to just kind of touch base with you. I'm pretty sure, you know, that house being in Bellevue is going to fly off the shelf. Do you have any offers in hand at this point? Yes, I have multiple offers, Ed. Awesome. How many did you get? I'd rather not say. Oh, okay. Hey, I understand, Pat. I, I'm not trying to ask you to do anything you're not comfortable doing. I just also know that you have a fiduciary duty per the state to get your client as much money as possible. So I'm just going to try and get whatever info I can to help me get my client to do as much as they can, which solves your obligation to your client. All right. So tell them I got two others. Okay. That's, that's awesome. And you still have another 24 hours before your deadline. So hopefully you get, you know, three or four more. Yeah. Do you mind so. sharing with me those two that you have in hand? Are they... Uh, at or above the asking price? Uh, one of them is, yep. Okay, sweet. Do you mind coaching me a little bit? How high above do I got to be to win? Mm, you know I can't tell you, but um, but it's, let me just put it to you this way. It's solid. It looks good. I got one of these is very solid. Okay, and and that's not a unique sort of attitude out of that, that other person, right? You they're, they they end up on the spectrum either super candid and they tell you more than they should or or really worried that they're doing something unethical. And so when you give them that, well, you know, you have a duty to your client speech, that usually gets a good chunk of those people to at least start sharing a little bit more. Yeah, because it um, does it, help it, them. It, I mean, if they really do have two or three, you're going to write a better offer than if they're ambiguous or you know, maybe only have one. So it, it does benefit yep. them to tell you the truth, providing they have more than one, I would say. Exactly. And very few of them will go, I have two and the highest one is 410. Right, you know, they're, right, right. They're, they're ethically, they're going to feel like that's a breach. And so they, they won't give you that much detail. But they'll usually play a little, you know, hotter, colder game with you or somehow give you the impression that you'd better at least be 10 grand over kind of thing. Um, so we, so we have that conversation and then I go, okay, Pat, I, I really appreciate that. And, and I'm going to do my very best to get you an offer that is, uh, easy for your client to say yes to. Let me ask you this, besides price, are there any terms that are important to your client, like possession and that sort of thing? Yes. So they're moving downtown to a high rise condo and they, that is being built and it's not going to be ready for about 90 days so ideally they'd like to get the cash out and then maybe rent this house back so if oh. you could write this sucker for you know settle in 30 days and rent back for two months that would be awesome okay and and i might be able to get my clients to give you that rent back for free would that be uh, appreciated dude that would be huge because the house is paid off and they don't have a mortgage payment and quite frankly i told them that when they get a rent back they're going to have to pay rent uh, of the buyer's mortgage payment. And they're like, we couldn't even afford to buy our house back. Yeah. Okay. Well, at, I, at I that can't mortgage promise anything, payments. but I'll definitely go to bat for you on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, let me ask you this, Pat. And, and I 
I don't want to put you in a tough spot or, or ask you to do work that you shouldn't have to do, but my clients really like this house. If I give you an offer that you cannot refuse that expires today, is your client willing to look at that even though the deadline says tomorrow? Well, I can't speak for them, Ed. I mean, I really would have to take it to them. I mean, I'm open-minded, but I can't, I can't, I can't make that decision for them. Okay. That's all I can ask, man. That's all, all I would ask. And so just as an aside, when I ask that question a lot of times, because people have been doing this delayed review of offers approach for a while now in our market. So a lot of times they're already sort of ready for that. And they go, oh, no, I've already talked to my client. They want to stick to their plan. So they're used to that strategy. Like the gig is up when it comes to agents saying, hey, 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 how about I, how about you hold off on the deadline or not hold off? How about you, you know? present this tonight and let's close it let's get it done yeah Yeah. so so either way i'm good with it if if you said no they want to stick with their plan i'm just going to say i go that's all right pat i can respect that let me ask you this go if if an agent comes along that's pushier than i am are you going to say the same thing to him or is he going to be able to persuade your client to review sooner because i don't want to yeah lose out for being not no, if i'm not going to let you do it i'm not going to let anyone do it i can yeah. promise you and, that. th- and that's all i want to do is get you to say that because now you're going to want to honor that yes yeah yeah so it now if if you said what you did say which is i don't know it's up to them i'd have to present it then you bet your ass i'm i'm submitting something that expires tonight i'm going to coach my clients on how we would write two offers hey we're going to do an offer today that expires today and is your best foot forward no escalator clause because we're betting that there is no second offer yet so you got to put your best foot forward and if the seller doesn't bite then we're going to write a second offer that includes an escalator we might even back down the starting point to a lower number but escalate up to a higher number because in that instance we know we're in the mix with other buyers and we want to leverage that so you would then obviously the second offer you would just kind of hold right yeah yeah we i'd write them both that first day have you sign them both because really the second offer is typically just a revised page one because the expiration date is different and maybe the starting offer number is different and we've added an escalator clause so you're really only doing one page extra yeah well two if you include the escalator clause and and so to get this straight so you would have them do this if you thought in your mind there might be other offers but there weren't like you expected there to be multiple offers but there weren't yet and you're going to the agent saying dude close this up and i'll bring you something solid you don't have any other offers but it's going to expire tonight yep yep and then, and there, if there aren't other offers, he might be likely to do that, or the seller might be likely to do that because they thought there'd be three by now, and they're 24 hours from the deadline, and you know there's none, so it might it would might work, right? Yeah, we. I mean, we've all had sellers where they're like, just I just want to be done with this. So yeah, so it's it's it's, uh, it's toxic. I mean, it's it freaks them out, you know, when there's all these people rushing through their house, yeah, and you know, it's stressful. So so we finish our conversation on a good note. You're liking me. You're thinking I'm going to bring you something that's going to be easy for you to to pitch. Now I go back to my buyer, and we do the the offer strategy session, and what that includes is a market analysis on the house. So I'm going to use data to show them that 
they're they're priced right that they can even escalate above the asking price assuming that that it's priced well uh and and basically get your you're now the buyer get your mind comfortable with even though this house is listed at 400 i, I actually would be comfortable to 425 let's say once once you settle on what that number feels like and you're comfortable with it, then I hit you with this question. I go, okay, Pat, 425, I got you. That's how I'm going to write it up. Let me ask you this question, though. You really like this house. What if someone came in at 435 and we lost by 10 grand? Are you going to be pissed or pissed at me? Yes. All right. I will be. So yeah. Should we go to 435 then? Yeah, I guess so. All right, so 435 it is. Now, let me ask you this question, Pat. <laughs> 445? Let's say, someone, let's say someone comes in at 440. Are you going to be pit? And, and I'll ask it. And you'll keep going, really. You'll keep, you'll keep going like that, huh? Yeah, and, and I will interject. I'll go, Pat, believe me, I am not trying to squeeze money out of you. That's not my mission. Yeah. What I'm trying right. to do is help you figure out in your own mind what that emotional premium is because this is the right house in the right school district and so on. And at what point do you feel like, yep, this is where I'm comfortable. And if somebody spends even a thousand bucks more than I do, they paid too much. Well, and you're protecting yourself too, because you know what happens inevitably if they feel, if they lost the listing, they get so, if they lost it and they didn't get it, they get so emotional and they got to blame somebody. And a lot of times they'll blame the agent and then you'll lose them as buyers. Yeah, yeah, you nailed it. So, yes. so you protect yourself too, but also you help win the offer, not only for you but for them, right? I mean, yeah. so you just you basically are just going up five grand at a time, ten grand at a time. What, do you, what what's normal? It depends on what the price point is and how much did they squirm when we landed on four twenty five? Yeah, okay. Like if they had, if they really felt like that was a stretch already, I, I probably would only say maybe five grand. In fact, when I said 10 to you, I started to think that number might have been too big, but you, you went along with me, and I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. I want the house. <laughs> yeah. And then the other thing you do is if you lose, because you, you don't win them all, then because I have rapport with that listing broker, I can now call him back and go, man, congratulations. I, I just got to know how, how high did you get? Because I want to know how much did I lose by and how many offers were there ultimately and what place did I come in? Because then I can go back to my client and coach him and go, hey, man, we got our asses kicked. And that's okay. That just, you know, I've never had a buyer, you know, long for the one that got away because all that ends up happening is we find a better one that that was the one that was meant to be. Yeah. But it's important for you to know that we lost on that house by 25 grand and we came in seventh out of eight offers. Yeah, right. They need to know that. I mean, or else they're just going to repeat themselves next time. Exactly. And at some point, they have to decide, you know, if they're coming in seventh out of eight, they got to change their strategy or get out of the market and wait for it to cool down. Yeah. I have a client that uh, when we first started working together, it was, I want to be in this area, which is the boundaries for my kids' elementary school. And that changed because we kept getting beat to, how about the boundary for the middle school? Then it was the boundary for the high school. Then it was the boundary for the entire school district. And I, I don't know if you know the Seattle geography very well, but we ultimately ended up going onto islands that are outside of the, 
the Seattle area. Wow. Well, and that's it, good because they, they rather than, you know, expanding their price or, or, you know, their standards of what they set out, they expanded where they were willing to buy, which is That's right. Which is that's good. exactly is, right. So there's really two things you can do. You could either change your strategy. If you keep coming in seventh out of eighth, we might as well part ways. But if you have to be here. But if you, you know, stretch out a little bit, then, you know, that's yep. another option. And more often than not, they, they get pissed that they came in seventh out of eight and they get more aggressive anyway. But but sometimes their lender is what's limiting how aggressive they can be. And so then that's when they got to look to go further out ge- geographically. And to your earlier point, you can't go from, you know, the elementary school boundary to an island. It takes, that's a lot of offers, a lot of time. Most agents get fired somewhere along the way because they... Yeah. They associate you to that bad luck. Right. But because of our process and how we deal with people and talk to them and encourage them, we, we don't get fired very often. Yeah, you're very calm and you're very soothing. And I can, and, and, and you know, I'm sure when you talk to people, you're, you don't sound like you're pushing them at all, but you are telling them the truth, you know? Yeah. No, that's true. So, so what other uh, bags of tricks... Like I used to talk about this in in a class we used to teach uh, about listings, and it was about uh, there was a script called the the chocolate Sunday, and it would say that if if you were at a birthday party and someone handed you a piece of cake, you would and it was three in the afternoon, there's a bunch of kids running around, you would probably say, "No, I'm good. I don't want any cake. Thank you." Right? And it, just one piece of cake cut in a square on a napkin. Right? But if they took that piece of cake and they put it on a nice little shiny porcelain plate, let's say, then they took a nice French vanilla scoop of ice cream, a perfect scoop, put it on top of the cake. Then they took some whipped cream, put it on top of that. Then they took a cherry, put it on top of that. Then they took some chocolate sauce, put it all on there. Then they took some sprinkles, some rainbow sprinkles, and put it on it. Then they took a nice clean uh, you know silver spoon and they plopped it right in the middle and they handed it to you on a tray you're going to be like oh god i got it like okay thanks for doing yep. all that right and you take it and you got to think the same thing with an offer um in that if you're going to just give them a piece of cake you're going to come in seventh yep. <laughs> you got to get the chocolate sauce and the whipped cream and the cherry and everything. So my question to you is, and by the way, that's a script you can use with your buyers to kind of explain to them why they got to think about Uh what they write. So what kind of things is Ed Lane telling them that would be equivalent to chocolate sauce and cherries and things like that? Uh, So one of the things I always sort of preface the conversation with to my clients is, you know, I know you're focused on price, but I want you to understand there's there's probably another hundred terms that are in this offer that don't have anything to do with price. So what we're going to do is kind of focus in on which ones of those can we make stronger and not relinquish any uh, leverage, if that makes sense. And they go, oh, okay. So then I just start rifling through all the other details. You know, like um, I'll tell you one that's often underutilized in the escalator clause it doesn't just say how high will you go it also says how much will you beat the other offers by right so there's 
two different numbers in there. And I see escalator clauses on my listings where they go, yeah, we'll escalate to the moon, but we only want to beat other offers by $500. And, and I will never let my client do that, but I receive offers that have that all the time. And that just means their agent did a poor job of explaining, hey, the whole point of that number, we call it the escalator increment, is because there are all these other terms that besides price, you don't know if your offer is weak in other areas, but you're not going to be weak on price. And so what you've just done is created an environment where if you're weak in every other area, but you're only beating that, that other offer by 500 bucks, that's nothing. So the seller is going to go, well, shoot, why would I take all these other weaknesses just to get an extra 500 bucks? Especially when all this money is, is, is now free money because they, uh, yesterday they didn't expect to get anything above list. Exactly. And, in, you know, in my market, average prices are in the, you know, the high fours. So 500 bucks is nothing. So, so I always encourage them to make that number aggressive. So like in this example, I, I would make it 5,000, not 500. Yeah. Then, so, so what Ed is saying is, you know, $5,000 above the best offer, right? I mean, I mean, that's, yep. that's huge, right? And you're really putting your money where your mouth is when you do that because i i agree with you if you go 500 even a grand above the best offer it's too it's a way much of a cliche it's kind of like oh yeah yeah, yeah. but if someone says five thousand above the best offer how do you say no to that that's impactful yeah the other thing we'll do and this is sort of a, a prevailing theme is you know, on, on any offer, you, you know how at the bottom of the first page you have the list of addenda, right? Well, yeah. I want that list to be as short as humanly possible. <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm with I you. Mean, if, yeah. if I got to have a financing, okay, fine. I'm going to have that on there. If I need to have an inspection, okay, fine. I'm going to have that on there. But, but I get offers like title contingency is a great example. Yeah. Our, in our state, our MLS, our title contingency is not a, a blank check exit type contingency where you can just say, I didn't like what I saw, I'm out. What it says is if there's anything on the prelim that you don't like, you have to bring it to the attention of the seller. And if they can't address it, then you can get out of the contract. Well, they have to address it anyway. They have to deliver marketable title. So there's very few instances where I need a title contingency. I, I, I can give you one example that I happen to have right now, and it's the first one I've had in years where it made sense. This, this listing I have has an easement to a lake, so they can walk across their neighbor's yard to get into this lake. Yeah. That's pretty cool. But I, if I'm a buyer, I'd want to read that thing and understand it and make sure I'm, I you know, could use well, it the way I would want to use it. Well, here's the thing, Ed. If there's a title issue um, that comes up, which title issues do come up, the title company calls the seller and tells them about it. They don't even call the buyer. A lot of times buyers don't even know about these title issues because they get cleared up before settlement. So the buyer doesn't even have an opportunity to you know, formally tell the seller you need to clear this up. You know what I mean? It just becomes an assumption. And the right. seller, like you said, has to have clear title anyway. So 
the title company calls the seller. Sellers clears it up. The buyer shows up at settlement on settlement. They go, you know, oh, by the way, there was this issue. We cleared it up. They don't even care. Yeah. So they, you're yeah, right. It's a it's a mute point. You know, delete that. Right. I mean, delete whatever. You know. I mean, if the house is two years old, chances of termites are slim to none. Right. And you say, hey, you're pretty confident there's no termites there. Oh, there's no termites there. You know. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, uh, cross that out then. Well, and if you're gonna like in our market, our inspection contingency clause is is a blank check. I mean, you you don't even have to do an inspection. You can terminate for any reason. Yeah. So I get offers from my agents because I have to review all offers for agents under two years, and they'll have a neighborhood review contingency and a title contingency and a inspection contingency, and they got the form seven, you know, the seller disclosure, all this stuff. And I'm like, your inspection is your longest contingency, and it gives you the free out that all these other ones don't. Why don't you just eliminate everything but the inspection, but perform all the same due diligence, and then decide if your client wants a house or not? Your offer will be much easier to accept. Yeah. Like, bring your inspector when you're looking at it, right? And then, right. And then, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I love so it. So that's the, you know, what... what Writing winning offers is what we call it, but we cover just a ton of minutia type stuff. But if you if your client really wants that house, you should do everything in that training because you're going to win. Deposit Unless- too, you know. Like some people still put a five hundred dollar deposit down, and, and some guy will come in and put a fifty thousand dollar deposit down. I mean, if you really want the house and you're going to get it, and and the seller agrees to your terms. The deposit amounts are relevant because you're only getting 0.02% interest on it anyway. So why not just give it to the agent and let them hold it? Yep. Nailed it. I love big deposits. Anything you can make it strong. And, of course, there's the old letter, oh, I love your house, here's our kids, yeah. all that stuff. There's all kinds of emotional stuff you could put in there. Picture of the family. You know, um, you're taking it right out of our hymnal, man. Yeah, we, we have templates, and we we give them to our clients and say, "Do something like this and find a recent photo." Yeah, I love the and, and and of course, if you ever, and this is huge, if they ever have an opportunity to meet the seller, take it. Yeah, like if you know the seller's going to be there a certain time, that's because we've had sellers that you know. Oh, I really want that young couple with the two little kids. They're so cute. I hope they get it. You know? I mean, don't underestimate that. If you're the only one that gets to meet them, you stand a huge chance of getting it. And that's that's not just a unique thing. That's pretty typical because sellers want the next people through to enjoy the home like they did. And they now have a visual. They can see your children playing in their yard yeah and that is super comfy nothing there's nothing like that you know there's nothing better than selling to a family you like buying from a family you like Um, in all the houses that i bought in my lifetime which is a lot you know that my family moved into i always felt good about it you know what i mean always it always felt good i was always happy and it was important to my wife even more than me you know so yeah Happy wife, happy life, right? There you go. There you go. Well, Ed, this has been amazing. So I really appreciate this, and, and, and I'm starting to see this more and more. We're starting to see a lot of uh, people finally, and I don't want to say finally admitting, but I want to say finally uh, saying, hey, you know, we're, we're peaking there. You know, are, would you, Ed, would you say your prices are higher than they were 
in 2006? Definitely, yeah. They're, they're more. Yeah, we, we surpassed it uh, like two months ago. It made big news. Fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. Pre-recession peaks. Pre-recession peaks? Yeah. Wow. Hmm. Well, congratulations, I guess. And I yeah. hope that uh, it would be very interesting to watch. So, listen, good luck to you. Thanks so much for coming on. This has been awesome. You gave both sides of the spectrum, buyers and sellers. This is great. I think our, our rock star nation uh, is lucky to be able to learn both sides of this. Uh, because if you're not in a seller's market, chances are you will be there. You know, it always starts out west first. So, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's coming your way. Yeah, definitely. Well, always happy to be on with you, Pat. I always enjoy our conversation. This episode is brought to you by Rebus University. Yes, Rebus University, the home of the Certified Listing Agent course. Many people taking the Certified Listing Agent course, you will never, ever lose a listing again. If you take this course over and over and you ingrain this stuff into your head, that is certainly our goal, I should say. And I got a $100 off coupon for you at hybendigital.com backslash discount. That's hybendigital.com backslash discount there. You could also sign up for the coming CTA course, which is a certified team agent with Jeff Cohn at Omaha, Nebraska. If you're interested in getting a super discount on that, because I need some beta testers on that course. And if you beta test it, I'll give you 50% off. So if you want to get on the beta list, go to rebusuniversity.com backslash courses backslash CTA. I'll repeat that. rebusuniversity.com backslash courses backslash CTA for the certified beta tester list of the certified team agent course. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.